I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes 10 million in North America-wide liability insurance to ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. This week, I speak with April Vokey of Anchored Outdoors, Fly Gal, and Meat Eater fame. We discuss her humble beginnings growing up in the lower mainland of BC and how she took her passion for fishing to become one of the most renowned authorities and celebrities in her field. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe so that you don't miss any of the exciting podcasts that we have lined up. So today I'm joined by a homegrown Canadian fishing legend and proprietor of AnchoredOutdoors.com, April Vokey. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Silvercore Podcast. Thank you. Now, I'm really excited to be chatting with you. I mean, we've known each other for a while. We text and chat back and forth, usually about work-related things. And I figured, that why not use this as an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's long overdue and it's so cool to see you in your recording studio right now because I feel like I, I've been there. I've been in you guys' home and I've seen all your cool toys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this whole recording studio is a work in progress, but yeah, if it wasn't for COVID, I would have loved to have been doing this face-to-face. Yeah, well, it'll happen again. It'll happen. Yeah. For the listener's sake, I'm just going to give a little bit of an intro here and then we'll kind of get things rolling. So in, in what would seem like a relatively short period of time, you've been on the Steve Harvey show. You've been on 60 minutes with Bill Whitaker. You've had shows on the Outdoor Life Network, on the Discovery Channel. You've hosted your own show, Shorelines. Uh, you've been involved with Meat Eater. You're a brand ambassador for Yeti and Patagonia. You've got over 125,000 people following your every move on Instagram. <laughs> And now you are running your burgeoning enterprise, anchoredoutdoors.com, and it deals with fishing and hunting and foraging and homesteading. And I know you've done a lot of podcasts and shows and talked about the whole fishing side. And as much as I'd love to talk about that, and I'm sure the listeners would be interested in that, they can go to anchoredoutdoors.com and they can learn about that. I mean, there's even a Pacific Northwest fishing course there that they can take. There is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Look it up. I know. I think you learned all the tips and tricks. I I guess what I'd like to really talk about is how you took your passion for the outdoors and for fishing and you've turned this into a burgeoning multimedia empire and community. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, we just went live in February. The show has been active for six years now, but, uh, it was time to take it to the next level. And so it's, you know, it's, to me, it it is a community in so many more ways than just our members, but obviously also the contributors as well. It's just been a long time coming and I'm very proud of it. When I'm looking at that community is a big word that stands out to me because I look at the people that are interacting. I look at the people that are learning on Anchored Outdoors because you've got your master classes, which are really cool. And you're right in there with them too. I mean, you're learning alongside of the people in the community, how to use a bow drill and make a fire. And what's the one that's going on right now? You're tanning fish. fish. leather. Yeah. Yeah. All these, all these skills, you know, it was like, okay, I could, I, I just got exhausted trying to constantly find these classes. There's, you can go to masterclass.com and they've got right. a million am- amazing classes on, on a number of different topics, but Nothing that interested me. There were no hunter-gatherer courses, outdoor classes. I mean, I think Tony Hawk and and the gardening guy were probably the closest thing that appealed to me there. (laughs) So I I was able to find a couple online courses here and there, but they were all on various websites. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take all these classes and put them under one roof and really be the outdoormasterclass.com. And so that's what anchoredoutdoors.com is very quickly evolving into. And you got some big names on there too. Some well-talented people. Josh Nyland. Yeah. I mean, 
there's there's a big name. They've got to be the best in the and and for anglers. Sorry to cut you off. It's just yeah, go ahead. So exciting! Like even Steve Rajeff, the world casting yeah. distance champion. Like he's he's on board. And right now we've got a cameraman up north doing Bob Clay's bamboo rod building masterclass, and it's just the it it's really cool because everyone who most of the instructors have been on the show. And so we've gotten to know them. And I think this is what's so special about it. Yes, we they're the best in the business. Of course, we want to know their skill set. But how cool is it to learn what they're teaching after we've heard their story, where they were born and raised? Why are they like that? Why are they so ambitious? And really be able to have their voice resonate with us because we know who they are. It's just, to me, it's a richer it's a real rich environment and it's it's a community that I would want to be a part of. And so that's what we're doing. So you built it. You said, this is a community I want done. I'll build, I'll build it myself. Yeah. So speaking about born and raised, you were born and raised in my hometown of Surrey, British Columbia. Woo, Surrey, what? <laughs> <laughs> Fleetwood. <laughs> Fleetwood, see, I was Newton. I was more of a Newton guy. Well, we were, we were Newton first. We were on 129th street. Yeah, that's right. 6336 129th street. Um, actually first we were Delta and then we went Newton and then we upgraded into, up into Fleetwood. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you were actually, I didn't know that you, you weren't too far from me. I yeah. was what, 132nd and number 10. That's yeah. sort of where I grew up. When people look at your CV and I, and I only touched on a couple of things in there, there's a lot of things that you've done coming from humble beginnings. How, how did you do that? You just said, Hey, I really like fishing. I know let's just, um, let's get 125,000 followers on Instagram and just start <laughs> rolling. Like, like, where did it start? Oh man, where did it start? Well, the, it started with having to grow the passion, you mm. know, and, and that was instilled at me at a really young age. And, you know, a lot of people have already heard the story, but my, my parents don't really fish. Uh, but we did a lot of, we did do some weekend trips out to Chilliwack or, you know, we would go into the interior and go on those old stinky boats and troll worms around and up behind Panorama Park, actually, the elementary school back in the day, just up into the right of our house, it used to be all, before it was developed, it was all acreage in there and it was full mm -hmm. of ponds. And so I would go on my bike. This is back when you could let your kid do whatever they wanted. <laughs> so I would <laughs> take uh, my mom's nylons <laughs> The good old days, take yeah. my mom's nylons and a hanger and go and catch frogs and salamanders and then bring them back into our pool. And, and that was really what got me excited, um, you know, catching all these slimy creatures. And then obviously going fishing, seeing the salmon, learning that salmon can, they need to come through a river that's what, like 20 feet wide, then surely we can intercept them, you know, the mathematics work. And so... <laughs> That was where it really all started. And then from there, it was, you know, I'm, I'll skip past all the the rigmarole that goes in between. So, you know, I, sure. school in Surrey was, it got interesting and I was rolling with a rough, rough crowd. Right, and right. so I would choose to escape by going fishing. And it was able to give me that sense of wild and the rebellion that I really needed without mm. sniffing, you know, snorting cocaine or being promiscuous. And so when right. my friends, when my friends were going to party at night, I would party too, but then, you know, I needed to get out of there at a decent hour because I needed to A, sleep or B, get to the river before sunup. So fishing was really, I will forever credit fishing to, or credit fishing to being my saving grace and what kept me out of trouble growing up. You just had a passion for that, but I know a lot of people who've got a passion for what they do making it into a business. I mean, you just jumped out and said, I know I'm going to start guiding now. I, I really like fishing. Let, let me get, let me turn my passion to work. Well, it was more than passion. You know, passion is really loving something like really right. loving something. Maybe you eat, sleep, breathe it. For me, it was, it was the only thing that kept me, uh, grounded, but also I, I really attribute it to keeping me alive. I really, really do. So for me, it was just a necessity. Like I had to fish. If I didn't go fishing or just be outside, right? Be out in, in the river. And obviously if you're out there, you may as well go fishing. Mm. I was not gonna, I was gonna end up like my friends were ending up and, and a lot of them, it was in really bad places. So for me, it was like, I need to be outside. Okay. But I also need to make money. And so I was, I guess at that point I was still, that's right. I was still bussing tables at Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Actually it started as bussing tables at Earl's and then it oh, was, there you go. and then it was Red Robin. I was in Guilford and then it was, yep. 
And then it was Olive Garden. That was when I became really, really sick in the head. And mm. I guess it would have been before Olive Garden. Sorry, I, I do it by, I had a high school boyfriend. And so at that point, yeah, that would have been still really early days, just after Earl's. So like, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. And going out to the river after after work. Okay. And it became kind of, I was stuck between a rock and a hard place because eventually I would want to, you know, I'd want to work nights and I'd also want to go fishing in the day and I was starting to get burnt out because I would end up basically not getting any sleep. You know, I'd pull over on the side of the road and I'd sleep or I'd sleep in my car in the middle of a, of a fishing day. But long story short, I just needed to make a, I needed to cut something out. And I knew I didn't mm. want to be a, a busser or eventually a, a cocktail waitress forever, right. which is, you know, what I ended up doing. And I thought, well, okay, what do, what do I want to do? I, I've always wanted to be a businesswoman since I was like two years old, <laughs> From like honestly, like three or four years old, I've wanted to be a businesswoman. And the only thing I really loved was, was fishing Mm. And it was all I wanted to do. So I thought, well, I better make a business at fishing. And how am I going to do that? Well, I need to be good. So how do you get good? You've got to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. And then how do you promote? Well, you, you, people need to know who you are. And then it was all this amazing, perfect timing with social media. It was when, you know, I was doing it before Facebook. But when Facebook came out, I saw an opportunity and I grabbed it, you know, right, wrong, or otherwise. I mean, we've all made mistakes growing up and I've done some really stupid things and said a lot of stupid things and... People who are from our hometown are listening right now and going, oh, she was, she has got a mouth on her. You know, I've done, <laughs> done, done, done and said a lot of stupid things, but at the end of the day, I use social media to help drive my career and the rest is history. I, I got to imagine today's day and age in the commercial guiding fishing world, you see a lot of women. Not so much back when you were doing it. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> No. So th that must have been, uh, man, that, that must have been difficult. Well, it was, and it wasn't. I did it to myself in a lot of ways. You know, I, um, yes, like the number, there weren't, it, there were no women. So, you know, right. Kathy Reddick w was an OG. So Kathy was there, yeah. Denise Maxwell, right. um, a handful of, of other women. Adrian Camel, my best friend, she was, uh, she was getting started at the time. She was working at Michael and Young's Fly Shop. But I was still cocktail waitressing every night at the casino in Langley. Mm. And uh, and for me, that was a business. You know, I made my own hours. I went in. To me, it was like rented space, right? You've got, you work as many hours as you want. You've got rented space. You hustle as hard as you need to. You go in with a budget or a goal. I need to make 400 bucks in tips tonight. I've got to hustle, hustle, hustle. I need to be out of here by two or three because I want to be first thing on the river, blah, blah, blah. And so I, to hustle, unfortunately, there's a certain look that makes you more money. I mean, I feel like I was split, right. I was like split testing back at the <laughs> casino. I was like A-B testing. Okay, so yeah. what's going to get me more money? Does my hair this color work? I mean, I just, I made way more money as a blonde, to be totally honest. And Really? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and the dress code was we had to have nice hands. And I was a really keen sturgeon fisher and actually uh, even at that at some point a guide. And my hands were full of bait, crusty, you know, procure or just even like crusty stink bait. Right. And so I, I had to have, I had to cover them because you're dealing with chips, right? Like I, even though I was cocktail serving, you're still, people are handing you chips and you're giving chips back. Right. And so- the code, dress code, was you had to have nice, nicely manicured nails. And so for the only way for me to have nice hands was I had to have fake nails to cover my disgusting hands. <laughs> and, and so then I would get off work at, you know, 3.30, 4.30. It depended on which shift I was on. But usually I worked the 10.30 to 4.30 shift, and then I'd go straight to the river. Well, I'm not going to take my – I don't have time to take my makeup off. I've got to get to the river. I'm in a right. bloody, bloody hurry. And yeah. I still got my nylons on and my hair's all done and my nails all did, you know, like, <laughs> so for, I just, I looked a certain way and, and for a lot of, you know, especially guiding my first year of guiding, I was so excited to guide for Sturgeon on the Fraser. And admittedly, like I worked for a different company at the time and they kind of just threw me a jet boat and they're like, here, use this for guiding your boyfriend will train you at the time, at the time. And my boyfriend didn't train me. <laughs> shit, shit, you know, like he, yeah. he, we, when we were out in the boat, we were fishing, we weren't training yep. me. And so I didn't know how to run a boat very well. And my truck that I had bought for guiding season was a lemon. Mm. 
And I didn't know this. So when I brought it into Craftsman Collision in Chilliwack, the owner, <laughs> the owner there was like, here, your frame's bent, but I'll tell you what, you can use my Hummer for guiding or like for whatever you need to do. And I needed something wow. that could tow a boat. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those new Hummers. I'm still working because I would work all night and then guide all day. So I'm still going straight from the casino now to the river for my, for my first guiding year, really in a jet boat with a Hummer. <laughs> and of course <laughs> my employee at the time has decked out the jet boat with like pink decals, right? Or decals um, with his company name. Of course people are staring. And then I'm this complete dipshit who doesn't know how to like get, you ever been to Island 22 in the morning trying to back your boat up at 8am with oh, the rest man. of the guys? <laughs> all the clients are staring at you. All the guides are staring at you and you're, you're learning as you go. Right. So, you know, and then of course it's, you're embarrassed and you're insecure and you're young, you're young and you say stupid things and yeah, it was rough the first little bit, but yeah. So anyway, all, all that to, to bring back to your point about social media. Yeah. It, it, there were not a lot of women back then. And I'm sure that if I had looked a different way, mm. I would probably have been better received. So who knows if the, the, what I was receiving was based on me being a woman or just based on the fact that I looked very much out of place. Mm. You mentioned being insecure when you're learning through that process there. And that's a word that I wouldn't ascribe to you. In the entire <laughs> time I've known you, insecure is not one of those words. Is that something you just had to learn really quick to have a thick skin or have you been fairly headstrong most of your life? Yeah, no, I've definitely been headstrong strong all my life. And I wouldn't say I am an insecure person, but mm. I, I can be insecure about certain skills that I know that I have not put the time in to be good at. Right. And in that case, or about certain, like I'm insecure right now about the size of my bum. Like you're allowed to be insecure about things and it doesn't make you an insecure person. Mm. Um, and so I, in, in my opinion anyway, that's how I, you know, justify it. No, I agree. On the boat launch, I was really insecure for sure. And, and just really nervous, really, really nervous about all mm. the eyes on me that I didn't necessarily want. Like I, I, I don't know if I... I definitely didn't want that much attention. It's one thing if you're shit hot, you know, you're right. like, yeah, look at me now. But when, <laughs> when you're just learning, you're like, please just stop watching, please. You know, and everybody wants to come and offer an opinion and you're like, yeah, but you just, you're just making it worse. Like I just like, need to figure it out. Just go away. I know yeah. it's, I'm sure everyone's <laughs> had that one. I think family guy had a good clip of Peter Griffin trying to back a boat into a boat launch. He basically just ends up running the thing right down <laughs> for, forward. Good to go. Yeah. yeah. I didn't but, have any crazy. I had one stupid, like I had, I've done, no, I take that back. I did a couple of stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a great sturgeon guide, but that, that actually was great for me to learn because it wasn't so much even that I wasn't a great surgeon guide. It was that I didn't care to be a great surgeon guide. Mm. And that's, that's what it came down to for me. That was really the first step in being a business owner. So I always have believed that you need to do what you love. And if it's not in business, then it is, it's in life, but you need to be happy. That's really important to me. And it's the foremost, it, it leads my whole life and, and my business. And for me, it was like, okay, I, I did want to guide. I did. And I'm doing it because this is what guides do in the Fraser Valley, right? Right. But then why do I not like it? And then I started doing salmon trips and I was like, ah, oh, I'm into this. I'm really into this. And then I started doing steelhead trips and that was me. That was it. It just, that was what I wanted to do. And there was a handful of steelhead trips available uh, through the company I was working for. And I just thought it was time to branch out to do my own thing. I, I wanted to do more steelhead trips my way. Mm. So that's exactly what I did. I started Flygal. I had had Flygal because I was a, a sales rep at the time and I used Flygal as my business for write-offs and stuff, but ended up turning it into my guiding operation. And really that life was never the same again. So everything you've done is basically school of hard knocks. You didn't have any business schooling <laughs> behind you. No, no, definitely not. Um, my yes, school of hard knocks, one hundred and ten percent. But my mom is a is a very very savvy businesswoman. That helps. Yeah, yeah. She and and not. I, I wouldn't even more in like the administrative side, right? So like to this day, my mom helps me with 
Um, I'm all about numbers and crunching. So to this day, mm. I'll be like, mom, I'm having a really hard time with my spreadsheet. Can you please help me with my projections? And so she's kind of been, always been my little, like my coder. And it's right. cool because we work together. So I have always really been in marketing. And I remember my mom telling me when I was in high school, you, are, you need to go into marketing. And I was just like, that's just such a stupid name. Like what's marketing? Sounds like you're going shopping on a weekend. You know, I just, <laughs> I didn't want to go into marketing. And I, I, and I should have, I guess I did end up going into marketing. Actually, You did go into marketing. I did go into marketing. <laughs> Big <Mom>. time. <laughs> <laughs> Mothers know best. Yes. But yeah, you know, and she, and so I, she would come home upset about things at work. She was the big buyer. She was in Langley, but now she was, she's retired now, but she was the head buyer for the city of Chilliwack. Or she was at first a head buyer at Langley, then Chilliwack. And she would come home upset from the guys at work because she also, she was the big wig and dealing with a lot of those guys and gals, there was a lot right. of, of stuff that she had to go through. And so she'd sit down and together, I would help her craft her emails to go to her, whoever it is who's given her a difficult time. And so I learned a lot through business by helping my mom through her business. And then my mom would also help me with mine. So to this day, we still do work together and, and I'm forever indebted to my mom. So yes, it was hard knocks, but it was hard knocks with the support of a wonderful family. That is so cool. That's so cool. It's good that you had that, but you know, even having all the support out there, you still have to take it upon yourself to accept that support and and start yeah. pushing it forward. When we talk about marketing, you've been very, very successful in marketing yourself and marketing the brand and you've done it. I mean, there's a few ways that people can market themselves and you've done it in a way that's very true to yourself. I think anyways, from, from, in a, from my position looking in, you can watch the Instagram posts of people and there's surefire ways to get likes and the entire process from my perspective anyways, has been very honest and like you're basically, you're, you're laying it out there and it seems to have been really well received. Well, to me, I mean, integrity is everything, right? So if you're not true to your word, then what have you got left? And, and I've, I really, really believe in that. And so you also need to remember when I started using social media and just Facebook, cause Instagram was, I mean, we all were like Instagram, none of us were going to join Instagram. But just right. fa Facebook, it was really provocative to post a grip and grin photo in a tight-fitting cardigan. It was different back then. So even when I would go from the casino and I had, like I had this REI, or I guess Mountain Equipment Co-op, thermal shirt mm. that was bright fuchsia, and because I dare wore a pink scarf to stay warm on the Thompson, that was provocative. Or the fact that my hair looked combed. That was provocative. Right. It was different than now. I mean, it's almost like, it's like watching movies and, and media, right? You have to just go more and more shock factor. Right. And I feel like social media now, everyone's constantly trying to push the limit. And for me, because that's just never been in my DNA, it's just not, like I was already made to feel really, not guilty, but aware of being provocative with a pink scarf. So the thought of even <laughs> thinking to take my clothes off or do some of the ridiculous things that we're seeing people do on Instagram now, that just doesn't register with me. Right. Now, I'm not against it in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways I am and in a lot of ways I'm not. But, you know, it's funny. I give grief to people on my podcast all the time, quietly, maybe subtly, just about being an influencer. But... It hit me the other day. I was like, it really is no difference. I use my social media to, yes, share my life and grow community, for sure. And I've made some wonderful relationships, but I also use it to promote my business. Now, why do I want to promote my business? Because I genuinely believe in my product, and I genuinely believe that it helps people and builds a better community. It's a win, 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 win. Right. But, but is that any different to the person who's using it to sell product as an influencer that they also believe will help people's lives. So, you know, it's a real sticky subject, um, social media. I, I think the big thing, uh, my mom said to me the other day, she was like, how are you doing balancing your, showing your life versus your business on social? Right. And, and she was like, do you know, do you get any complaints that you've been promoting your business? 
And I was like, but mom, the reality is like, I want to share my life, but I'm also not in the business of just here. Look at how awesome my life is. Look at how great I am. Look at how much fun I have. You right. know, and, and, and just because, you know what I mean? I'm in, I'm in, I'm in business. Like, of course I want you to follow me so that I can inspire you and we can get to know each other or we can take a course together, but I'm not in the business of being like, look at how awesome I am. My life's just so wonderful. Well, that you just know? alienates people. <laughs> right. I, I, so, I mean, it might be fun to look at, but over the long term, I think that just alienates people. So I think staying real as much as I want to be like, yes, I'm definitely authentic because I want everybody to feel real and authentic. At the end of the day, I also believe it's just part of business as being real. So it's one mm-hmm. in the same, one in the same to me. Well, one of my, and it's, I think it's a lot of people quite liked this one post that you put out there. Do you, do you want to talk about Martin? Oh yeah. My cigarette ball. (laughs) (laughs) It's got nothing to do with, with fishing. It's got nothing to do with, but it has a lot to do. Community. Yeah. Well, it's got a lot to do with tenacity as well and perseverance and dedication. Uh, Can you tell it, tell us about Martin? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I was always the girl in school when I, when I went to Ember Creek, that was where I did my 10, 11, 12 Ember Creek. I was the girl walking down the hallway and I, I'm very proud to this day that I knew everybody. Like the guy, the Asian kid in the corner, Gavin, (laughs) who didn't speak to Mark in the band room, who people didn't even think could speak English. Every single person in that school I knew and, um, and really enjoyed watching everybody come together to do great things. And the teachers, I'm sure I was pain in the ass. Like we didn't have a female football league. So I rallied all the girls up and made it really (laughs) difficult for them to say no. And I was the one trying to organize walkouts and, you know, I was that. Good for you. I was that girl. But I loved community. And one of the things that very quickly became this communal, (laughs) this communal thing was this, this ball I had started making named Martin. And so with back then it was this thing where like you could take cigarette tinfoil and I don't smoke, so I don't know if it's the same, but you would, you know, today, but you would peel the paper off of the tinfoil and it would have this bit of adhesive on it. And so you would use your hands to roll it into a ball. And I had heard that you could sell it for 500 bucks. So I was very excited about making, I needed 500 (laughs) bucks. Who doesn't need 500 bucks? I mean, my car at the time was worth 500 bucks. So (laughs) I was, I was set on getting this ball and I can't remember why he was named Martin. Oh, that's right. Cause my dad plays guitars and he was all about, you know, the Martin and the Martin. Yeah. And so we had Martin and everybody who smoked would start to bring me these tinfoil pieces. And I went to school every day with a, like the, you know, the street, what's that chocolate? It's like the something streets chocolates at mm. Christmas. Okay. Uh, it, it's like this, it looks like this, it's this tall, big container of like a Toblerone. It was like quality chocolate that you get. Um, okay. Like, that anyway, that you get at Christmas time. And so even the kids would even pass it around and be like, here, let me take it for lunch. And they'd go and fill it up. And I would spend a bunch of time at lunch out there in the field, picking up all these tinfoil bits. And the teachers got to know Martin and the cafeteria tables had this kind of um, like an orange peel top. So I would, I would carry a spoon in my pocket and I would constantly be rolling because I can't sit still. I'm a, I, I just have, I'm one of those people that will drive you crazy because I can't stop. Yeah. And so in class, I could stay moving by rolling Martin. And then I would roll him on the cafeteria table and bang him down with my spoon and really compact him. And everybody was fascinated. I mean, I had teachers giving me tinfoil. So wow. Ember Creek is to blame for Martin, who I didn't end up selling and gave to my dad. And now he's the size of, he's like half the size of my face. And he's huge. T- totally hard. He's like fully hard. He's like concrete. Yeah. Yeah. And if people want to see it, just go on the, <laughs> on the Instagram account, check it out. It's uh, yeah. But the, to me, that's a lot of perseverance and the fact that you're doing it to make $500, I mean, that's just <laughs> <laughs> that much better. That's, that's the entrepreneurial spirit right there. Yeah. At a young age, I was told I had ADHD and a few other things and, you know, bouncing off the walls, always doing something. I, I can appreciate that. I don't know if I got ADHD, but it was, maybe I do, maybe I don't, I don't know. But it is something that I've seen in other entrepreneurs is this constant drive, this constant need to, to keep pushing forward. 
is that something that you would attribute to your, your constant need to keep pushing for? And do you get, do you get bored after a while and say, I got to do something completely different now? Whoa. Well, I don't know what the word bored means, but yes, if I ever start to feel like I may be getting what I assume is bored, then yes, I go and do something else. There, there's nothing scarier to me than a human being bored. I mean, totally. we have books, this thing called books, right? <laughs> like you can literally be quote unquote bored and decide tomorrow to learn an entirely separate, la- like a new language. Right. There's, there is zero excuse to be bored. And as, you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor and I don't know anything about ADD or ADHD, but it's interesting in reading certain studies and people who are passionate about primitive skills and hunter gatherer skills. A lot of people will say that that is a genetic thing, you know, something from our ancestry where we were, you needed to be constantly aware and not be able to focus on one thing necessarily while out in the bush, even just to stay alive. So there's a lot of interesting theories on the whole ADHD thing. What about getting into something like you really got into fly fishing and getting typecasted as, Hey, she's the one that fly fishes, no gear for her or mm. I do you find it difficult to, to not get constrained by the business that you're building? Yeah, all the time. I'm constantly put in a box, uh, which is hard because I, I did not start out fly fishing. I started out, I was a spoon angler tenfold, you know, and, and bait, I would be sitting there at night procuring my bait and cutting up squid legs and constantly playing with different colored cures and borax and all that stuff. <laughs> And I'm still really into that. You know, I still like to live bait. I live part of the year in Australia. I fish a bunch of soft plastics and and live baits and all these other thing, lures. And uh, yeah, it's hard for me to get out of that box. I know people really like to put me in a box. And again, a lot Mm. of it's self-inflicted. But you know, the one thing that's nice about Anchored Outdoors is it's not about April Vokey. Right. Yeah, which was a big very cognitive decision years ago that I knew that I had to, I didn't want to, I had made the mistake of building a business around myself and that was a dead end. And I knew that I needed to take the next step forward and, and to be, and I was just more fulfilled. I, I didn't want it to be about me. I never wanted it to be all about me. Just like you, I never, so Silver Core, which is the main business named after my grandfather, Silver Armino, my other grandfather, Cornelius Bader. I just took the silver and the core, put them together. Love one it. was a, a VPD detective. The other one was an entrepreneur, had a, uh, a bakery. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll put these two things, oh, what do they call it? A portmanteau when you put them two together. But it was very conscious at that point. I didn't want to call it Travis core. I didn't want to <laughs> make it about me because my thinking was, if I grow something and I put all this energy into it and it's so deeply tied to me, how do I take that next step to do something else? If I, if I want to uh, stop that or sell it or, so I never had that dilemma of having something named after me, but building the April Vokey brand, you looked at that as a bit of a dead end, did you? Or something that would be just too tied to you that you couldn't grow past? It is a constant decision that I make every year. Every single year I sit down and decide because look, business is all about trends and trends change. Sure. And, you know, 15 years ago, it, it paid to be corporate or to appear to be corporate, you know, to be responding to us or like re- responding as our, us, we. Right. You didn't want to look like you were a single man business. You wanted to look big. You were the big guys. Right. Now it feels, and again, it changes every year, but now it feels like, it is advantageous to have your face behind it. People want to know who they're dealing with. They want to hear your story. And so even with Anchored Outdoors, which is recently branded, you know, it went live in February and mm-hmm. I was going to leave myself off of it entirely. And had, you know, I spoke to a couple of people I respect and they were like, you have to include your story because people want to know the face behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is a constant, ever-changing trend. It's something that, but with, with my brand anyway, or with our brand, with Anchored Outdoors, yep. it, it, it works to have kind of the face behind it, but the focus, like at least, you know, the face behind it, but I want the focus to be on all the people with all of those incredible skills. And I think that that's, that we're, that I'm doing a good, I, we, cause it's not just me now, but right. myself, Tom, Jackie, the team, I feel like we do a good job of doing that in, in bringing the focus to other people, even though people know it's my company. 
I, I think that's important. I think there's, like you say, there is that fine line between making something that's so detached from you that you can easily replicate it mm-hmm. or something that's so close to you that you'll, you'll be confined by it. So right. that's, you know, I don't know if I ever told you, I got to meet Bear Grylls. Right. So Bear Grylls has a family life and the business side and he calls it BG and Bear Grylls, right? <laughs> so that's, that's BG over there. That's the whole Hollywood TV stuff. And this is Bear Grylls over that's here. That's so funny because when I do my projections, cause every, and I've done this now for, well, since 2007, I'm all about budgets and projections and goal setting. And I split my business because I, especially a few years back, I owned more than one company. And I, if you look at my projections, it's like I had, I would have one company here, one company there, and the other company was AV. Yeah. And that was April Voke. And it, it was the brand. Like she, okay. So, right. and I literally, to this day, I sit down and I'm like, okay, that needs to make that much money. That needs to make that much money. She needs to make that much money. Like, I don't even look at myself like me. It's that that's part of the company that needs to make a certain amount of income to make something work. That's funny. What about if we just switch gears just a little bit in that whole building of brand, you've made the very conscious decision to include your family in that. So you've got your daughter, your husband, that's got to be tough. Well, I, it was a, I, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Yeah. You know, no one's called me out on this yet, but that's a mistake. So I very much, when I gave birth, even if you read my first post, it says, you will never see a photo of my daughter <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> because I respect her wishes and she might not want to blah, 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 blah. You know, especially with the internet, I don't want her to have all these document. I'm such a bad mom. Uh, I don't want her to have all these documented photos when she's older. And, and I just am too proud of her. So it's an Achilles heel. I have to draw, pull my head in sometimes and be like, are you sure? Are you sure? But it's like, oh, but she's just so cute. Like I just. She is cute. (laughs) But yeah, it's an error and a mistake. And it's probably one of the things I shouldn't be doing, but I can't Mm. help myself. (laughs) So we haven't talked about how you made that jump. There you are guiding on the river and you said, I know I want to be on TV. I mean, come on. No, How definitely did that jump not. happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I've got to keep it real and honest. Uh, you know, a- admittedly, yeah. I mean, I always wanted to be on TV when I was younger. Like, who, who, who doesn't back then grow up wanting sure. to be on TV? It was your at, at that point, it was your only outlet. Right. Yeah. You know, there was there was no internet. <laughs> you had just if you wanted to have your voice heard, you went on to television. Yeah. And and so when I was younger, I wanted to be on television. But as I grew up and evolved and had more opportunity with the internet, that slowly dissipated. But the television series happened because of what we were talking about earlier with this fear of boredom. Mm. Um, well, there's a number of ways at the top. I'll, I'll take you down two different roads here. So the okay. television series happened because I was already starting to write a book. And the television network had said, we want a show. And they've been wasting my time for years of like, we want you to do a bikini show on a boat. We want you to do this show and that. Like it was all just ridiculous nonsense. And they finally must've got desperate again. Television is very much, um, times change by the season. Sometimes the execs want, um, someone who's gun heavy. Sometimes the execs want uh, a woman host. Sometimes they want it. It changes every day, but they must've been desperate. They said, well, take whatever you've got. And I said, well, I am subsidizing. I need my book to be subsidized. So why don't we do a television series about my book? And they said yes. And so I got to writing the series Quick Smart and wrote them this television series, teamed up with Nick Pujic at VP Media House in Ontario. And the show was picked up. And from there, I was still guiding. And then in my off season, I was filming the show. And in while I was while I was guiding, it was able to keep my brain spinning because I was writing my series while I was guiding. Right. And but then the show was over and we had done all of our filming. And I was really disappointed with editing that I'd had all these rich interviews and only two minutes of them were being used in the series. So I'm guiding on the Dean doing the usual thing, but now I'm not writing my television series and I start to get bored. (laughs) Yeah. And that for me was like, okay, I'm not doing boredom. So I got this idea about doing a podcast and I had told everyone I would guide for 10 years. And I meant that I always said I would only ever guide for 10 years. I've said that from the beginning mm-hmm. and put in my 10th year and immediately went to work on my podcast. Just like that. Just like that. 
you just picked up a microphone and a recorder and you just said, let's just start talking into this with other people or like, what was that? Was there a big research? How, how do I start a podcast? <laughs> no, no, um, um, no. My first episode was with Lonnie Waller. And so I had interviewed him at my home or at my camp in Northern BC and was really disappointed that his interview, which is spectacular, had been cut down. And so I asked the TV show guys for the, all that audio. And then I converted that audio into my first episode. And then from there, got off. So I launched that one in December, I think six years ago, and then got myself the same, well, it's a different snowball mic, but just a little USB mic mm-hmm. and started going around and sitting down with with people. It was tough because I only ever did did my podcast in person. And it really right. worked hard to have it be just the top of the top of the top industry leaders. So right. it was difficult getting to a lot of them, but but managed, yeah. And, and I didn't do a bunch of research. I kind of just went for it. You just jumped right in. Yeah. Well, it's definitely worked out well. And then you did some time with, with Meat Eater. Yeah, yeah. So Meat Eater came into my life uh, two years ago. When did I meet you guys? About, about that, yeah, a couple of years ago. Yes. Yep. And that went great. And then, you know, as things do, contracts expired and yep. I, I could either stay on and not own my, well, own my content, but not have control over it in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Right. Or, or go independent and take Anchored Outdoors to what it is now. And that's obviously the route that I chose to go. Right. And so you've got the podcast anchored and you decided, let's, let's make this community. Let's make this the master classes and the, the, the website of Anchored Outdoors. And that's gotta be one heck of a learning curve because you went it, in from <laughs> nothing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I just wanted to build what I was craving. Right. And I felt like what was missing out there, I'm a new hunter and, and I'm a subsistence hunter and mm-hmm. I'm not someone who enjoys killing. I, I mm-hmm. enjoy hunting, looking for animals. I enjoy eating. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy the killing and I really don't enjoy bro vibes. Right. I, I, I just, I get it. I respect it. I am all about manly men. I, I think that it's okay for manly men to be bloodthirsty and talk about it, blah, blah, blah. Sure. It's just not what I am interested in listening to. Right. And so I wanted to create a platform of, you know, a community of people and conversation that was appealing selfishly to me and hope that other people felt the same way. And wouldn't you know, there's a whole market of people out there who feel like that's been missing. And so that's really where membership started to pick up was, you know, were these people who felt like maybe that, what's the word I'm looking for? Timbre of voice is missing. Right. Okay. Good word. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so now February, you launched yeah. Anchored Outdoors. Mm-hmm. We are going to be coming up on a year in a little bit here. What do you see in the future for Anchored? Yeah. Great question. More community, way more community. I started the Facebook page pretty late into the business. Like the Facebook group's only been around for a while. Mm. And I'm just constantly in awe of the people on there and the community that builds totally, it's got nothing to do with me. It's just everybody networking, getting to know each other. They trust each other, but they also trust, they they, they speak the same language, right? It's just, right. It, it's just everyone's kind of on the same page. Everyone's different, but they all have the same values as I think what I'm probably looking for. And I'd like to really take that to the next level. So the master classes will always be probably front and center because right. they are extremely interesting and well worth the money. And they're but beautiful. Thanks, they're they're yeah. well produced or well put together. They're really nice. Yeah, you know, it's it was important to me that my that our instructors would be proud of what they were putting out. And and I think it's safe to say that we've done that, you know, every, every cause it's, so. it's not me. It's, it's the whole team, right? It's Tom is our homestead coordinator. Jackie's our hunt, our hunt coordinator. It's the videographers. There's a bunch of videographers involved. It's every, everybody as a team mm-hmm. and everybody is proud. Every instructor is proud of what they've put out. And the next step is going to be interactive courses. So being able to do the courses together. Very so, cool. Yeah. That's important. You know, a membership is no good if people don't use it. Totally. So and it's important that we, you know, if it takes a team to do it together and, and it gets everyone inspired and excited, then why not? Right. Totally. And, and I mean, I think like anything I look at from my perspective, looking at that business model, that community is the biggest thing that, that 
the most valuable thing that you can grow there, I think. Yeah. And it's so much fun. Like we just started every once a month we do month so we do members only fly tying nights and they're interactive. And it's so cool that I'll have a hundred people because you know can only have a hundred in the in a meeting. And yep. I've got a hundred people on my screen and while the guest instructor is speaking, I can go through and teaching um, how to tie. I can go through and look at everybody's video and mm-hmm. then be like, Tom, just real quick, you know, tighten that hackle. Or, you know, <laughs> Laura, make sure that you let me know if you need help with the whip finish later. And then they're chatting to me. And, you know, it's just this real, you walk away from it feeling so fulfilled and so happy just to spend just time with, you know, special people. I, I love it. I've never been so happy. That's fantastic. That's really, that, that's really cool to hear. I mean, some people get into business for all the wrong reasons. And my, my personal thinking on it is, and I've said it before, if you're looking at it to get into business, to make money, you're always going to be chasing the money. You're always going to be behind it. But if you're getting into it because you want to be able to offer something of that you feel will be of value to others that you enjoy, money's just a natural byproduct of the hard work and effort that you put in. And I always like to see other people who have similar business ideas and, and they do it because it's something that they feel will be of value to others. No doubt in my mind that Anchored is going to grow into a, uh, <laughs> f- even far more successful than, than where it is right now. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's, it's looking good. Things are looking really good. Before we wrap everything up here, do you have any advice to anybody else who's got a passion and would like to build it into their business or follow in the footsteps of the great April Vokey? Oh, don't say that. It's not me. I'm just the, I'm just Oz. I'm just pulling strings while everyone else is doing amazing things. Uh, just, the great AV. <laughs> the, a, the, the AV, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, my advice is, you know, it's very easy today with the internet and with ego to mm-hmm. paint ourselves into a corner. And I just think it's important that you know, aspiring, a lot of these people now, right now who, who might be listening, may be creating their own personal brand online. And that's important. You need that, uh, for that spreadsheet so that you can have your initials as, you know, <laughs> part of your business. But it is, I believe in having a diverse portfolio. Like when I invest my money, I, I have a very diverse portfolio. Like my money's spread out everywhere. I would never just put it all in real estate or just put it all in stocks. Mm. It's, it's everywhere. And I think business should be looked at in some way, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, the same way. And so it's nice to not back yourself in a corner because you won't always be young. You won't mm. always be hot, you know, for a lot of these young people. Sure. And I don't just mean appealing from a from an attractive stance. I mean, you, you won't always be the hottest angler. You won't right. always be the hottest guide or the hottest man or whatever it is that you're hot mm. at. You won't always be the best. So it's a good idea just to have a backup plan and I think there are a lot of people who are business owners at heart and they might not know it. And, and I would urge you, anyone listening right now, to really take a deep dive into yourself and look at things that you did maybe when you were younger. Like for me, I was the kid selling lemonade on the side of the road. I was the kid when we would go to the barn, I was four years old, like literally four years old, collecting horsetails, you know, the the plant, yeah. the plant crushing yeah. them up and trying to bottle and like mixing it with water, trying to bottle and sell perfume to my <laughs> mom's friends. I remember taking paper and putting it all, well, all my friends were outside playing. I remember Tyler and Cameron Kerr and all the kids playing in the cult second. I was inside with my paper, t- um, taping it together and gluing pennies down it, <laughs> making yeah. it look like a skirt that I could sell. You know, all of these little things when I was younger I just wanted to be a bloody businesswoman. That's what I wanted to do. But right. I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I knew, but I didn't know. And I, maybe, I mean, it's not, yeah, I guess I wasn't going to start a big scale company when I was 10. And so, I mean, it, I guess it, it all happened in due time, but pay attention to those things. You know, if you're out there and, and you were the kid wanting to sell things or have garage, I mean, who doesn't love selling at garage sales or say you love going to Mexico because you love to barter. I mean, maybe being a business owner is for you. And and, and the other thing, Travis, I think people, you hit the nail on the head when you were saying you like to speak to other business owners who are passionate about what they sell. I don't even think that that's an option. Like if you don't love what you sell, to me, it's not even that you're a businessman, you're a sales or woman, you're a salesperson, you know, you're selling. And, And 
I, that's just not, it's not sustainable. How long can you stay selling something that you don't believe in? So I really believe that for a lot of people listening who might be unsure if they're business owners, if they just find something that they believe in and pay attention to the little things in their past, they, they might decide, they might figure out that they're more of a business person than they think they are. You know, the other thing I would say to people who are thinking about getting into business, this is really important. Times have changed, right? Like I was just telling my husband this morning, I was like, you know, if I would have known 15 years ago that the world would have all these like things like automations and analytics and tracking, it's just a different world than it was back then. So for a lot of people in their 30s who are like, like myself, you know, late 30s, things have have changed. There is a lot, there are a lot of ways to make business easier these days. But one of the things that I really want to be a takeaway for people listening right now is you don't need to get it perfect. You just need to get it going. And a lot of the people I listen to in business, this is an ongoing theme. You know, you don't need to get it perfect. You just need to get it going. And like I had mentioned to you when we were off record at another point, you know, fall forward, fail fast, fall forward, figure it out. It's, you know, one of the the first books I read on business when I was, I think I was 20 is I, I read Think and Grow Rich. Right. And you know, you know, he makes it real clear. There is there's no failure. Like every time that mm. you think you fail, you just figure it out what you need to do differently next time. And just because something doesn't work one way, switch it around. I mean, don't redo everything. That's the first time you put something out, whatever it is. The success of that is is just your your first attempt. And now you just need to tweak it. And you know, it can be something as simple as a sentence here or a timing there. And and you know, this thing called split testing, A B testing. Run tests, try things, see what works and, and what doesn't. So my, I guess what I'm saying is don't give up before you've at least tried and don't, please, this is the number one thing I see people do, don't wait to get it perfect. Just throw it on the wall and see what sticks. It's never going to be the same anyway. Everyone is like, oh, but I don't know exactly what my business is. I, I don't know what my business is going to be next year. I mean, it, it, it evolves and you never know how it will evolve if you don't at least put some legs on the damn thing. Well said. Well said. I think, you know, there's a few things you just took right out of my, my head, it felt like, and uh, better articulated it. There's a, a a very successful Canadian fellow who says done is better than perfect. That's right. Absolutely. Because it's, it's never, it's never going to be, it's always going to change and you won't know until you get the response and you get the community and you get the ideas and you get the criticisms. I mean, one of, I used to be terrified of criticism. Who wants to be criticized? Now that's some of my, my best building blocks are based off of criticism. Do you buy into the praise? I mean, like if you give praise value, that means you probably give criticism value. I give it all, I give all feedback value. Anybody yeah. who takes the time to communicate to me, provided that it's done with mutual respect, because I don't just walk up to people randomly and slap them in the face. I would <laughs> hope that they don't do the same thing to me either. You know, all, all criticism and feedback and praise is listened to and appreciated too. I mean, how else do you grow, right? If you're not, if your ears aren't open. So inspirational. April, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the Silver Core podcast. Always enjoy talking with you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you.